This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. Today, we have as our guest, Francine Tone, author of the award-winning number one best-selling What Every Good Lawyer Wants You to Know, an insider's guide on how to reduce stress, reduce cost, and get the most from your lawyer. Francine, are you there? I am here. It's great to be here with you, John. Yes, thank you for coming on. Um, how do you how do you do a best selling book? I don't oh, know well. that one. <laughs> <laughs> you you put your head down and you write really hard. But um, it's interesting because there's a there's there is a little uh, gimmick that applies to all kinds of bestsellers, whether it's Amazon or New York Times bestselling author. It's a question of getting people to buy your book, at, you know, all at once. And you just uh, coordinate it, get people that know you and get people who are following you to buy your book uh, right when you launch it. I pre-launched my book and became a bestseller. And then I had to put my head down and get that book written. And I did get it written in in about three months and um, and fully edited. I'm pretty proud of that book because it was written for clients, uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, law clients. I'm an attorney. And uh, it, the big question that I had was, what are the things that I've been telling my clients over and over and over and again for nearly 30 years? And I put that all in the book. And I came to realize that, that what I've been telling clients for years and years and years have given them a sense of comfort um, and allowed me to be kind of their Perry Mason, you know, the guy that you go to, the attorney that you can trust, the attorney you can turn to and feel like you're being taken care of. And uh and I felt that that was what was needed out there because lawyers don't always have the best reputation and the public perception is based off of, you know, a handful of lawyers, not, not the lawyers that I know, not the lawyers that I work with and certainly not what right. I do. Right. Yeah. I had a lawyer in Texas that was, um, turned out to be a very good friend, close friend. He's not with us anymore, oh. but he was, uh, he was really something. He was, a the, the, the great communicator. Mm -hmm. And and he was uh, the guy that, that that convinced me that no matter what I did, I wasn't going to be able to escape this escape the situation. Ah, uh, because that you know they'll they'll associate you with the others, even though you weren't right. part of the others. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he he convinced me, and uh, and I know you know he's he's all the time around me. I, I just wish I could talk to him. Sometimes yeah. I have to I have to go sit with a medium to 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 talk, but but that's doable. And uh, he uh, at the during that time after that shortly after that he created uh, mediation in Texas. Oh, that's wonderful! He I'm did. a big fan of mediation. <laughs> he he did he he created mediation in Texas. He uh, and he and he he started out with a little pamphlet called. Uh, uh, Peace Pilgrim, mm. and uh, this is the woman that walked across the the the, the U.S. a number of times, uh, trying to get people to notice what the world is really about, and what it ought to be in terms of 
how they deal with people and how they deal with situations and so forth. So Peace Pilgrim was his motivation to do it. And he used to hand out those, he used to, to get certain study times that where he can talk to people. Uh, and, and they were all lawyers because, uh, you know, you can't, you can't become a mediator without becoming a lawyer. Right. Yeah. Especially with the lawsuits. I mean, that's the, people want to have lawyers as mediators and even arbitrators. They would prefer that. And it's mm -hmm. finding somebody who understands, like you say, I loved it when you said he's a great communicator, because to me, that's the essence of, of um, your relationship with other lawyers, with the courts, your clients, everything is how good of a communicator are you? And what's the fundamental part that you need to be that good communicator? And to me, that's the essence. That's my book was about that. It's about communicating information to the client so they understood, so they could get through all the legalese and the things that kind of made them afraid of the system. And for me to simplify it and to express that in a way that made it easy for them to understand and feel comfortable. And it's all about, to me, it's all about communication. And one of the things that I, I go a little deeper into communication, like how do you become a great communicator? And for me, that's uh, emotional intelligence. And, you know, when people hear that, they go, oh, it's that new stuff. Like, no, this is old. This has been around the, since before Greeks, um, you know, know thyself, <laughs> right? It's, right? It's like Greek philosophy. I studied philosophy growing up. And to me, this when I started studying emotional intelligence, like, this isn't new. This is old as dirt. <laughs> and, but that's the basis of ethics. You know, the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, ethics, and, and uh, you know, just imagine uh, what it's like practicing law without feeling harried and hurried and worried all the time. And it's right. how do you get to the source of that? And mm -hmm. to, for me, having really high supercharged ethics requires you to manage your stress levels, manage your emotional state so you can become that amazing communicator and when you are able to manage yourself and manage communication, you can be you can supercharge your ethics. And as a result, imagine having clients who do all your champions and refer all business to you, so you don't have to worry about that either anymore. And to me, that's that's the you know end goal. I have plenty of business. I have plenty of clients. They all love me. Um, I even get I, I do criminal defense appeals, so my client all my clients are in prison, and I get letters from prisoners I've never even heard of saying, I was told you're the best. And these are referrals from clients who I haven't even won their case because it's hard to win those cases. So I haven't got any benefit for my client, but they refer me to other prisoners because of my communication skills. Well, that's great. I bet your your phone rings all day long <laughs> for, for, for people. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to change the the way I process that so that you know it's like I don't it's I don't communicate by phone first it's through emails and referrals and I don't take um clients who call direct it has to be through a lawyer referral because I do I handle appeals now only and so it requires a lawyer referral because if I did take um clients you know just calling direct it would be never ending. So, <laughs> but um, but my clients really are the other lawyers who refer their cases to me, sure. and then I, you know, and they they become my clients, um, and I work with them. So it's um, and then hopefully I'm rubbing off on them with the kind of communication that they get from me to help them develop better relationships with their clients.
and of course. not be as stressed, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Well, you know, the first first how-to is reduce stress in yes. your book title. Right, exactly. Even the client needs to reduce stress. And it's, I, I think about clients, I, and the reason I know this is because I became a client at one point, and we were in a partnership, you know, we have a rule with lawyers that we like no partnership. So we got in a partnership with two other lawyers and we broke up and, and it was a, a nightmare. And we um, decided to just walk away from a lot of stuff that they decided not to, and they filed the lawsuit and I became a client and oh my gosh, the stress I experienced. And I know the system, I know the ins and outs of the process. And I couldn't believe how stressed out I became and how embroiled I became in being a client. And that's when I really realized, wow, mm -hmm. I, it's a good thing that I've always had that in mind for clients, but I didn't realize how deeply the stress was and how deeply you're affected. And right. from that point forward, I, I went even more out of my way to make sure that clients were cared for, not just legally, but cared for as human beings in the process. Well, that's good. That's good. A lot of lawyers still don't do, don't can't 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 use it because they don't you know that it's not news to them. Uh, right. They think that everything is going to you know, running like they like they want it to when it's just the opposite. I think. It I is. I have a question. It, mm -hmm. No, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say this is not things. These aren't things that they teach in law school. And so when you come out of law school, you don't have any of the people skills training on how right. to deal well with people, but you get into a law firm and all of a sudden it's like, we got to get the deadlines and we have to make money mm -hmm. and, and all these things. And if that becomes your priority, sometimes the people skills get set aside. And mm -hmm. because lawyers, all the lawyers I know, they're really good at what they do. They're really smart. And when it comes to law, they're really good at it, but it's like you have to deal with that human factor and mm -hmm. Sometimes a client doesn't even care about the results. They just need somebody to look in in the eye and say, I hear you. I understand you. Hold their, you know, hand in their, in your palm and say, I got you. And that can right. be sometimes more important than the result itself. Learning little things like um, courtesy, mm -hmm. like uh, sympathy. Yeah. Um, things that you don't stop and think about because really you get to all uh washed up in the broil i guess you could say yeah i do have this question for you are you ready yeah tell me what an emotional intelligence expert is okay so an emotional intelligence expert um well i'm a certified emotional intelligence assessor as um and so as that uh, i have studied emotional intelligence, but I'm also certified to provide an assessment. It's called the EQI 2.0 assessment, which is the one that's the most vetted, most reliable and verified uh, test. There's many emotional intelligence tests out there, but this one, this assessment is probably, um, I picked it because it was the most verified and most reliable. And it means that I can administer the assessment and then give a debrief to the individual. These are all confidential assessments and they're self-assessments. And then you can only uh, take the assessment as long as you have a certified assessor to do the debrief, which is go through the massive um, assessment that the results that come out. And it 
assesses you on five major areas like decision-making, self-awareness, emotional expression, how you relate to other people in our interrelationships. And it covers 15 competencies that really deal with how you relate to other people and how you show up in the world. And it's assessing that and guiding people to understand where they are on all these competencies so they can then create a plan on where, which area they want to work on to improve their, um, their self-awareness or emotional expression. I think that what happens in the world is that we have been taught so much that there's no place for emotion in the workplace. So we learn to suppress or ignore our emotional state. And it's understanding that emotions are a critical part of critical thinking and decision making. And so that you, as you become more aware and more emotionally intelligent, you actually become better decision makers and better communicators, have better relationships with people. They're more solid. They're more ethical. You know, we're just filled with more accountability and integrity and allows you to be 100% honest with yourself so you can show up as your true self um, with other people and you know, today's day, coming, showing up authentically is so important, but it's helping people understand what are their weaknesses and strengths and showing it all up to have a balanced uh, emotional intelligence. So that's what an AI expert helps people do. Now, does that basically roll into or roll over to CLE presenter? Actually, for me, it does, because um, <laughs> I am a CLE, <laughs> Continuing Legal Education presenter, and all of my uh, courses are, I, I have done presentation on appeals, but my biggest focus is ethics, and ethics based off of emotional intelligence and stress management. And uh, I just actually did one um, for the Phi Alpha Delta fraternity through lawline.com, and it's about client, improving your client communications through emotional intelligence competencies. And um, the course highlighted a competency of empathy, which also involves your self-expression, self-awareness, and reality testing. And it's understanding how empathy works in relationship to developing trusting relationships and that in communication and what that means. And, and how empathy plays such a significant role in communication with another person, particularly your client. And it involves being aware of yourself, aware of your emotional state, but bringing your emotions to the table and how you show up emotionally when you're there with someone else. And then another big component that a lot of times attorneys think they have down is the reality testing. But oftentimes, we uh, often are, our minds are clouded with preconceived ideas that cloud our reality testing. And lawyers, you know, we're lawyers, we, we tend to be risk adverse. We're always trying to find ways to, you know, the disclaimer of all the possible risks <laughs> and making sure mm -hmm. that our clients are protected from every possibility. And we spend an right. inordinate amount of time. So a three page contract becomes a 300 page contract because of all the disclaimers. But if you have a heightened level of reality testing, you start realizing you're able to gauge the risk better. So you realize, you know, these six risks are so remote that it's not likely to happen, but these three risks over here are 
very heightened. Those are the things we should address more and getting the client to be involved in that. And, and with that higher level of empathy and emotional intelligence, you can actually engage the client to become a more integral part of your legal team so that they are on board with the decisions that are being made. Well, I, I so, find yeah, it, it goes to CLE. Yeah, yeah. I find it really interesting how you, in, in the way you're practicing law, that you've become an empathic. And, you know, it, it is the way that you go about, that's, I guess, call it your style, call it your way of doing things, call it, it's successful, obviously, because you're, you know, you're well known and people can't get enough of you. And uh, it just goes from next person to the next person to the next person. Yes. And, I, you know, I had never thought of it that way. But yeah, I do practice very empath empathically. And it's because um, part of it is as you develop higher level emotional intelligence, my stress level goes down. So instead of worrying about me, I have the energy and the brain bandwidth to think about them. And so in order to think about them, the client, or another attorney or a judge, I have to be able to be have enough uh, space in my mind, in my brain bandwidth, to be able to try to put myself in their shoes. And like, what's it look, what does the world look like from their point of view? And communicating in such a way to discover what is their point of view and being able to understand their point of view. And, and I think that's something that is missing in so many areas of the law. Uh, you know, what you, when you started the program, you said that there is a um, ethics, integrity, deficient disorder, and um, that when you're looking in terms of integrity, part of it is it's that people uh, believe what they believe and telling them they shouldn't believe that is never a way to get someone to change their mind. You have to show them a different way. But if you don't come from a hundred percent, you know, level of integrity and ethics, and isn't that what we're looking at today is, is there's so much uh, debate and questioning of people's, you know, what are the true facts? What are the false news or the, fake news and all this kind of stuff that's going on, nobody knows what's real and what's not real anymore. And it, we have to step back and say, we have to understand where someone's coming from to be able to have a conversation. We have to understand what is at the source of their pain and address that before we can have a conversation about a topic. And until you do that, we never get to dealing with the problem in a critical thinking way or a way that makes sense or re realistic way because you've never gotten past a person's angst in their stress level. Uh, if you can't hand manage their stress, you're never going to get past the kind of reptilian brain kind of going berserk in their mind. And that's all they can think about. So being empathic is helps me. Let's get to the source of your pain, deal with that, address it, make sure that I understand it, make sure that you know I understand it, make sure that I'm not judging you because of it so that we can move on to solving your problem. You know, so I think you're right. I think that that has helped me a lot in my practice. And it's something that I infuse my continuing legal education courses with is understanding what the lawyer is experiencing as well 
it, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. And so let's address that as opposed to trying to ignore some of those underlying feelings that lawyers feel and the stress that they're under. Let's address those and see how we can overcome that so we can then talk about how you deal with a client versus mm. just telling them how to deal with a client. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Tell me about you being the host of Front Porch Lawyer. Oh, all right. Okay, so <laughs> that's a COVID creation. Um, I, you know, when all of a sudden March 2020 came along and everybody just shut down, all my speaking arrangements, all my speaking just ended because I would go and speak live to continuing legal education, to bar associations and to other organizations and I just everything just ended and I thought how do I communicate with people if I can't go anywhere and uh, it was my husband and I were coming back from uh, just a short little day trip um, to visit his family and and I said you know I I could get on video and create a video channel and just do these short little videos and that's how it started and as we're coming back, um, I live in the mountains and I have a front porch and it just popped into my head, front porch lawyer. And I just started creating videos to get the message out. The kind of message that, you know, it's about practicing law with life integration and without stress. Mm-hmm. And because everything, ultimately, everything I teach is to lead up to what I call life integration. So my... Um, just a, a quick backstory. I my son uh, was a graduate of the Air Force Academy, and he had the world in front in front of him. And he was an instructor pilot, getting ready to become a fighter pilot. And he went on his dream vacation to New Zealand to a ski camp. And it was he was skiing with Olympians and Olympic hopefuls with an Olympic um, coach, where they ski the moguls, the bumps. And right. uh, you know, and here he goes, and I get a call. You know, is that call that no parent ever wants? And my phone rings, and the, the person says, "There's been an accident, and your son is unconscious and on his way to the hospital in New Zealand, and I'm in California." So it took me two days to get there, and I I get there, and the doctors tell me he's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life, and I need to prepare myself. And he's had a severe traumatic brain injury, he's in a coma, and um, this is it. This is the end of his life. And so uh, I just refused to give up at the, the, you know, beginning of the journey. And long story short, my son has fully recovered. Uh, he is currently in Europe on a second stint to Europe, not in the Air Force, but works with the Air Force still. But he was there for six and a half years already as a strategic military planner for the Air Force. And he's completely recovered. But during his recovery, one of the things that happened was a, is a funny little story I walk in one day, and he's still pretty severely brain injured, but he's conscious, he's awake, not a vegetable, and he's futzing around with this thing on his wrist, and it's a monitor that would cause the alarms to go off if he left the ward, but it's strapped on his wrist like a watch, and it's got the little block on it like a watch, but it's not a watch, and I asked him, what's wrong, and he goes, they gave me, mom, they gave me this watch that does me no good. So to a brain injured person, it felt like a watch. It looked like a watch, but there was no face. So he just thought, what else could it be but a watch? But there was no face on it. He couldn't tell time. So it was a watch that did him no good. And that became kind of a mantra that we use when any of us, my husband and I or my son, started going down a path 
of something that we all tend to do. We go down a path, but it does us no good. There's no benefit to it. You know, like worrying about something. There's no benefit to worrying, but we do it all the time. And that's when I realized that when you get rid of these, we started calling them watches that do you no good. Get rid of these ideas in your head that do new, do you no good. It clears up your bandwidth in your brain. It allows you to go from having a brain that's in rush hour and locked all the time to opening it up to a freeway where now you've got some time and space in your brain to do the things that you really want to do, do the things that you, you would love to do, but you never feel like you have time to do. And when you start doing that, you're able to integrate your entire life, work, family, taking care of yourself, the pleasures of life, whatever that is, and start living your life in a way that actually enhances your life. And even as a lawyer, instead of being harried and hurried and worried all the time, is living this integrated life where you have time and energy for everything that's important to you by getting rid of all the things that aren't important to you. And Emotional intelligence is sometimes the way to identify what are those important things, what are not important things, and understanding your stress and what brings it on is to help you find what's important, what's not important, so that you can have the integrated life. So ultimately, Front Porch Lawyer was to get to that end goal, and everything else that I do and I teach is all the processes of how do you get to that end goal. Well, that's fantastic. It really is, and uh, it's a very moving story and and successful story. Um, Francine, tell our tell my audience how to get in touch with you and how to how to learn more about what you do. So yeah, it's really easy. It's my name, FrancineTone.com. That's my website, and from there you can get all my contact information, schedule an appointment. You can even link to our law firm website where I have CLE courses listed there. But FrancineTone.com is the easiest thing to remember to find all my contact information. Well, I want to thank you again for, for being our guest today. It's oh, thank a, you. It's been an interesting session, and you're very welcome. Um, I'd like to thank my listeners who are tuning in to Searching for Integrity. Uh, so long and happy trails to all.